Holy Spirit, breathe new life into us all. Life that comes from the gift of you, from your presence, your guidance, your ongoing work in our lives. For the gift of your holy and living word, God, we pray that it would enter into us in a formative way. Breathe new life into us, God. And so I pray in these moments that you would speak through me, and if need be, in spite of me, so that your word alone would be heard. Amen. So our passage tonight is the opening paragraphs of the book of Acts. Um, And actually, uh, something that struck me, uh, I think Micah said this in his sermon on Sunday, but that the book of Acts, what did he call it, like the the Acts of the... Oh, now I forgot it. Oh, see, I shouldn't have brought it up because I can't think exactly. But it's, it's really, it's these acts of just incredible faith. And it, does anybody remember? And, no? Okay. All right. Well, we won't tell them that none of us could remember. But the point is, is that, is that it's, just, it's just filled, just chock full of all these incredible moments of stepping out in faith, of being empowered by the Holy Spirit and doing incredible things in the birth of what we know today and continue to be a part of today, which is the Christian church. And I, and I want you to hold on to that for a moment as we read together the first 11 verses of that book. In the first book, Theophilus, quick quiz, anybody know what the first book was? My Bible study row is not allowed to answer because I know you know. No? That's right, Luke, give her a gold star. I didn't see who it was, so you, you've earned a gold star. With it. In the first book, Theophilus, Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over the course of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up towards heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I'm struck... um, in part, and, and I will say, I, I, 
I decided on this passage and the general direction of the sermon long before the news of last night. And so some of this has shifted since then. But, but what I'm really struck by is not so much the power of the call that the disciples have as much as, in part, this moment of them. Can you just imagine it with me for a moment? Jesus has just ascended into heaven. They have had, oh my gosh, a crazy couple of months. They have gone to Jerusalem where all along the way Jesus has said to them, I- I'm going to be handed over to the authorities and they're going to kill me. And then three days later, I'm going to come back. And that happened. <laughs> and we know that there's so much that went on in the midst of that. But that happened. And then, as, as Luke points us to, 40 days of these times with them again, eating and, and sharing in time, and I would imagine in, in memories and dreams of the future, and now this ascension into heaven. And I imagine at some, at some level they're probably excited, but I think more than that, what they must feel is sadness. Jesus, who they have followed, Jesus, who has been, you know, the the center of everything they have done, who has been their guide, who has admonished them with love and and set them aright, has forgiven them, has offered them a, a kind of life that they could never have imagined before they were pulled aside from collecting taxes or catching fish or all of the things that they used to do that, and their lives are in this tremendous often ridiculous new direction. It's incredible. And there he goes. And I, I would imagine that, that even feelings of, of that time when, when they witnessed or in most of their cases heard about his crucifixion because of them not being present for their own safety or just not being able to handle it, I don't know. But, but again, they must feel not again. He's gone again. I, I wonder also... In the midst of that sadness and grief, maybe a little bit of fear, but also, I think, some expectation. And, and in fact, some of, the, some of biblical scholars over the years have said that the reason they were looking up into heaven still in that moment is because they thought he would come right back down. He said, he said he's coming back, right? It, like, like now? Like, it, like in five minutes? Because I'm not precisely sure what's next or where we should go or what we should do. Is he coming back now? And I, I, I don't know where that comes from except that I love it. So I just, I feel like that must have been a part of it, this expectation that what's next? And he's coming back, right? Now we have hindsight, having read chapter 2, looking ahead to Pentecost, June 5th, we, we know that, that this Holy Spirit that Jesus has told them about is, is going to fall on them in this powerful, beautiful, incredible moment. But then, in Acts 1, the first 11 verses, as they look on longingly, expectantly, wondering, okay, when is he coming back? Where is he leading us next? Jesus, can you, can you just come back? Because we need guidance, we need help. That is, they felt, I would imagine, at some level overwhelmed by sadness, by grief, by, by longing for their friend, their Messiah. As they continued to look toward heaven, and suddenly two men in white robes are standing by them, and they say to them, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? Now, that's a really, um, you know, PC, beautiful way of putting it. What I would translate it as is more like this. 
What in the world are you doing standing around looking up in the sky? That, I think, actually is more the, uh, the emphasis of that phrase. What are, what are you doing? What are you looking at? Does that cloud look like a dog or something? What, what are you doing? And then they're urged to go on. Why, why are you looking up there? Didn't Jesus tell you you got stuff to do down here? Isn't there somewhere you need to get to? Isn't there somewhere you need to be? Don't you need to take the next step? I'm struck in part that, that the, the angels who have come down to share this with them are not there to comfort them. They're not there to console them so much as they dwell on this loss and this, this massive, incredible, powerful moment. But they are simply reminded that they have been sent that they are those that Jesus has chosen and continues to choose to work through, and they have been sent. They have places to be. And I want to say this is not a callous, like, suck it up, get over it, get going. It's not like that. But it is a reminder to them, a powerful reminder in that moment, that they are the ones that Jesus has chosen to work through. Now, they're not alone, to be sure. Again, see chapter 2, see Pentecost, see the Holy Spirit. But yes, they are the ones that Jesus has chosen to work through. And yes, so are we. And like them, we continue to be called to be witnesses and disciples and apostles and, and ministers in this ongoing work of the Lamb of God, the Messiah, Jesus, the one who ascended on that day. And like them, I think part of what we need to be careful of is the distraction and the expectations that we might carry. Part of it, in fact, is the distraction of the expectations that we might have that, that like so much of the world, we have this goal and the ends justify the means. So what, what would it look like to um, take over with force or earthly strength, but instead to rely, as Jesus did, on patience and faith and love? to wait and participate in the movement of the Spirit, just as Jesus experienced his own ministry, finding ourselves at time without experiences of tangible success or even a sense of assurance, simply because they know they are those that Jesus has sent. And they're reminded of that by those two angelic messengers, that they are being sent, yes, even now, even in this moment, to unfamiliar and unusual places to work with unfamiliar and unusual people. They're called to a great boldness of, of faith to take that next step. It's, it's the kind of work that we know throughout Acts they begin to undertake. And it's the kind of work, it's one of my favorite phrases in all of Scripture, that is later described in Acts as they are accused of the crime of turning the world upside down. And that's, that's us too. We, too, have been those who are sent. And here's the thing. Part of the reason I love that image of them looking up with longing and expectation up to heaven, is he coming back soon? Because we need, we need direction, we need help. That sometimes we also do the same. We look longingly to God as if we're going to say or as if we're saying and praying, Hey, God, um... It's getting messy down here. I mean, you've got this, right? Like, you, is this, are you, are you, can we, can we just hang here faithfully and lovingly and worship and, and prayer and all that, but while you fix it? Now, I'm not pointing the finger, and if I was, I'd start by pointing it at me, because that, 
That's more comfortable. God, what are you doing about this? What are you going to do about this? And the truth is, maybe we also need to be reminded. Maybe, maybe we need to have some angelic messengers pop up and remind us that we are also those who have been sent. Yes, to hear the good news, God is still at work. Yes, God's love is still powerful. And yes, if you want to see the hands and feet that are at work for Jesus in the world, then start looking at your own. Those are the ones that God has chosen to work through. And it, it, let's, let's be honest, it is daunting and it is scary. It's also beautiful and wonderful. And it's probably worth saying it's scary again. But, but the reality is, is we're reminded in the coming verses, we're reminded throughout experiences in Scripture, we do not go alone. When we move, when we take that step, we do so not away from God, but with God. And often trying to keep up with God. In fact, I would suggest probably always. We take the next step, ever mindful of how God is at work around us and through us. But even when it sounds really enticing to stand there and say, God, what, what's next? What are you going to do? Because I'm, really, I'm ready for it. We take a step. We continue. We grieve. We're, we're sad. And God is with us in that grief. In fact, I, as I think about yesterday, I, I have no doubt that God's grief and lament surpasses our own. As that news began to reach us through the radio or TV or newspaper or our phones, that horrific mass shooting, I believe God's lament, God's grief was greater than we can imagine. I also believe that is why we are sent. We who are scared, we who often feel unequipped, who may wonder what we could possibly do, we who sometimes look longingly to heaven and to others to do something, we who God has chosen, who God empowers and blesses, for whom God moves ahead of us, with us, behind us, we disciples, we sinners, we strugglers and sometimes faithful, but always loved and forgiven, sometimes saints. That is why, that is precisely why we are sent and why we must go. Amen.